A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., And we are singing the Super League blues. It's dead, but is it buried? That's what it's all about. Andy, first of all, let's get one thing clear. As we speak, it is unclear as to whether Maurizio Pochettino will be the coach of PSG next season or not. He will be this weekend when they aim to get the title or secure the title. Yeah, let's let him lift the trophy first, I reckon. <laughs> so it, it could have been last night and for a, a while it looked like it would be. Full uh, midweek round of fixtures in France. Uh, Paris Saint-Germain won 3-0 at Angers. And if Marseille had failed to win against Nantes and they were behind twice uh, at, the, at the Velodrome, uh, then it, it would have been official as it is, Marseille came from behind twice to, to win 3-2 in what was a pretty good game. And uh, it means that PSG still uh, need one point to make it mathematically certain. And, you know, I'm sure it's lovely they win at home, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but there's been a bit of a sea change in how Pochettino has approached things this week. Now, for the first time, he addressed what not, getting to the champions, not getting through in the Champions League meant. Um, now, before, of course, he was blustering, I, I guess, understandably, in the aftermath about the apparent foul on Donnarumma by Benzema, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, after that, that second leg. But he's, it's the first time he talked about what it meant. And he said, well, obviously, the season's a bit of a failure if you don't get further in the Champions League than, than, than we did. And if you don't get the Champions League, so that was an admission of that. And what was also interesting is that you always find this when someone speaks on a, a, a big issue on football, unless they're as explicit and unequivocal as explicit and unequivocal can be, there's several different interpretations of, of their words. Now, Pochettino said, I still have a contract for next season. Does that mean he's staying at Paris Saint-Germain? <laughs> No, what it means is if you want to get rid of me, which I know you do, <laughs> and I want to leave, you're going to have to pay for it still. I'm not going to, I'm not going to quit and, and, and leave with nothing. We're going to obviously discuss bigger things with uh, PSG in a moment. But just as you were talking there, it kind of struck me. Um, and I, I, this feeds into kind of wider discussions I've had. We've had about the kind of uh, the broader fo- football world at the moment. But do you remember the, the big debate about Posh for so long was that Oh, he he hasn't won a trophy. He's not a winner, and now he's going to win it. He's going to win. A, he's going to win a domestic <laughs> title, but like it means far less than basically anything he did at Spurs or, yes. or even Espanyol. It means nothing to no one. Um, like it's when you we, consider we, the we, gap between them yeah, and Marseille, they're yeah, in a different yeah. league in in French league. But he'll take it though, won't he? He'll mm. take that as proof that he can win a domestic league. But where will he take it to? But and who takes it as proof? I think is, is is the question, given the financial gap between 
between them and the rest. I, I think that's the, the, the big issue, really. I mean, it does feel as empty as, as, as titles get. And I don't know, even at the end of that game against Angers, it, it felt really, it felt really empty because um, they overpower a team. They've got loads more money than difficult way trip, et cetera, et cetera, of course. But after, after they, they get through this, there's a sense that once they've got the title sealed up, what Pochettino is going to do is he's going to do what he wants to do. He's going to blood some of these young players. And of course, that to, hasn't to, been... To show, um, to show the club what he, yeah. his actual ideal would have been. Yeah, this is my strength. Okay. This is what I'm about. And, and so he brings on... the few games, the yeah. rest of the season? Yeah, and so they've, yeah. They've, they've, got, they've got, what, six, six games left? Mm. Something like that. And so, towards the end of this game against Angers, he brings on... Um, Dino Mbimbe oh. has already played the game in midfield. He brings on uh, another teena, teenager, Edouard Michu. And you think, oh, well, he's going to give him a couple of games from here. Just before full time, with PSG three up, Michu gets sent off. I think he's, he's, he's a little harshly dealt with because he, he receives a tackle from behind, which makes him go up in the air and stud up someone else. And on VAR advice, he gets sent off. And the look on Pochettino's face... He's got a face like thunder as Mishu goes off the pitch and he's like, God, I'm not even going to be able to play him. (laughs) And it's just, I think, in microcosm, the gap between what the club wants and what he's great at. And it's just another underlining of, it's just not meant to be, really. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, again, I remember from very early on, there was people who know Pochettino uh, people who are aware of how Paris Saint-Germain works. I mean, the restrained view is almost Pochettino is going to have to compromise a lot of how he works to do this job. And well, everything, yeah, really. Yeah, essentially, yeah. Everything. Um, so, I mean, really, all it's only, all it's served uh, is basically that he gets, he gets that league title. That's essentially it. Um, and it doesn't really change much of him. It, it does feel a little bit like Pochettino. While he was so perfectly the man uh, in, in, the, in the right place at the right time for Spurs, it was really such a victory at time in both where he was in his career, where that Spurs squad was, the state of the Premier League at the time, and the, the peaks he brought into Like He's actually, he's suffered with timing so much since. We're kind of, jobs that m- might be better for him than Paris Saint-Germain have just become available at the wrong time. Huh. Yes. I, mean, I mean, the latest was obviously Manchester United, um, but but it's been similar with Real Madrid, with Juventus. We, we, we almost cast them across Europe. Mm. You know, the, the PSG job should have been made for him, essentially, because he was a PSG legend to a certain extent. However, he should have known from what we've seen of PSG, uh, certainly since the Qatari takeover, he should have known that that wasn't the right place for a manager on his level, an ascending level after Tottenham. He should have known that. He should have waited for this Man United job. And it would have should been he have waited? No, no, because no. I, I, I just think he's waited a little bit too long. Yeah, he yeah. had to take a job. Yeah, that's true. Because you, you know how, that, like for the first six months after you lose or quit your job, as a top coach, it's almost your 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 legend Cache. augments. Yeah, you know, it's like what happened to he was great. Yeah. He was really great, and you your reputation is inflated beyond your actual means. But then it gets to a certain point. You're not quite entering the Kerbishly zone, but you're getting to that point. Whereas, why is no one touching him? You know, so it, it it is difficult. And as Miguel was saying, so much of, of being a successful coach is the right jobs at the right time. And the wrong choices can absolutely knacker you. Now, I don't think this has done it to Pochettino. But when you talk about chronology, Miguel, of course, Eric Ten Hag has just got the Manchester United job, which a lot of people feel Pochettino would have been perfect for. It's clear that there are certain Italian coaches, not just one, <laughs> certain Italian coaches that interest Paris Saint-Germain yeah. going forward. Could you see a way still where he, Pochettino, makes his way back to Tottenham? Yeah, not impossible at all, actually. In fact, we could well see a job swap in the summer mm. uh, because I think uh, it's very much 50-50 that Conte stays at Spurs. Um, I, I, even before anything has happened, 
Um, obviously, things are better than they were a few months ago, but uh, there's still a feeling around him that they could be at a better job where they could be winning top trophies. Um, so I, I, I do think uh, Severance is possible in summer, particularly depending on where they finish in the league and also their transfer business. I think if he gets if he gets Spurs into the Champions League, that does change. It'll be at least more difficult to go. But already, I think Spurs are trying to be much more proactive in the window this summer to kind of keep him happier. But that that may not be enough if they finish outside the top four. So we could well see a situation, yeah, where basically PSG come along for Conte. Uh, although, actually, just as a, as a digression, I mean, given how Conte works... I'm not sure that suits us to the squad oh, either. He's totally, he's totally <laughs> yeah, unsuitable yeah. for PSG, yeah, yeah, and yeah. PSG are totally unsuitable for him. That doesn't mean it won't happen, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, but Just yeah. Much but, like with Pochettino. But yeah, we could, we could well see um, Conte free. Or sorry, Conte going to PSG, and then suddenly the Spurs job is free, and well, maybe it might work out. I have to declare my North London interest here because I was always told when I grew up in Tottenham never return to the scene of the crime, as it were. And particularly when, well, well I'm, not, I'm not saying anything. Why are you laughing about this? But no reason. Particularly when somebody else has been there and, you know, like, checked for the fingerprints, as it were, or mm. re, re, rearranged things for you. And I just wonder whether it was a, an advisable move to go back. Would you not think this time he should wait a moment? I, I think... Does he not have the moment to wait? Yeah, I'm. I'm not. I'm not sure he does. Okay. I, I. I think the, the the ideal doesn't necessarily exist when you're in this. He's in this kind of weird netherworld, Pochettino, in that he's an enormously highly rated coach, but he's never emphatically proved himself at elite level. Yeah, and he's already fifty. I, I, I was actually thinking this recently with Pochettino. I mean, and whether there are many historical equivalents. Maybe, maybe there are people like Zenik Zeman. Mm. But, but a coach maybe who almost goes unfulfilled where he has a great reputation and yet when you, uh, I suppose as we all do, when you kind of look back in 30, in 30 years on Wikipedia and look at his honours role, thinking, why was he so rated? Um, yeah. Uh, like a, a, can you think of many examples like that? Probably... Was, was there, man? You always think yeah. of Bielsa, don't you? Yeah, Bielsa's actually, but, yeah. But, yeah. but, but well, Pochettino's not quite in that spot because, you know, Bielsa has never at club level at least, coached at absolute elite level, has he? No, exactly. So, yeah, so yeah. It's, it's fine for a like Pep Guardiola to sit around and go, oh, well, with my team, he would have won everything. I mean, I, I think <laughs> there are a few of us who know that that's probably not true. Yeah, yeah. And cer- certainly not in a, in, in, a, in a long-term sense. But, but no, I was just going to say, um, with or without Conte, PSG are due a restructuring, are they not? Well, yeah. I mean, I think anyone with any sort of basic football knowledge would think that really PSG have to have a complete rethink of the entire project and where this is going. Whether they actually do that is, uh, is uh, I mean... I think the question is, not if there's going to be an attempted restructure, but who leads it? Because I get the sense that from Qatar, the trust is not in Leonardo. We know that Pochettino are probably not going to be there next season. Almost certainly not going to be there next season. Nasser Al-Khalifi, the president, does he get to lead it? Because if you think the current project is a failure, it's maybe reached its limit. They're lumbered with big contracts with Neymar and Messi, at least for the for the for the medium term. So that affects manoeuvrability, even with the the, the sort of semi-retirement of FFP. That's, that's that's coming up. And I think it's interesting, just as Nasser El-Khalifi went over Leonardo's head and said, you know what, as you've not sealed the re-signing of Kylian Mbappe, I'm going to deal with this. Even though it's your job, I'm going to deal with this. Now, he's not got him to sign on dotted line as, as either. So, it's clear that in this restructuring, we know they can offer Mbappe all the money in the world to stay. They're also asking him, how would you reshape the club? Mm. How would you do things differently? What sort of future model would you like to, to see? Now, it's clear they want to lean on their area around them. Like, geographically, they produce as much football talent as pretty much anywhere in the world, probably apart from Sao Paulo. So how can they get that to work effectively? I think in the short term, that is quite a difficult sell because how would you 
convince young Parisians that you can come here and play. Everything that they've done over the last 10 years says that no matter how mm. good you are, if you are good enough for the French national team, like Christopher and Kunku, for example, you still can't get in our team. You still can't play meaningful minutes. I think it's funny the fact that, you know, Leipzig won't sell Nkunku unless it's for a mega offer this summer. But PSG have been linked with, you know, buying him back for 70 million euros. I mean, that's the ultimate sort of failure of this sort of model. If a guy that yeah. you basically treated like he was a spare part, you end up buying him back for 70 million. You know, maybe they can't do that. I think he'd be a pretty good signing for them still. Is he'd be a pretty good signing. I mean, this is a guy who's not an out-and-out striker. He scored 30 goals this season and propelled Leipzig into a into a really good place. But I think that is the thing with Mbappe, for example. Even though he hasn't come through the, the PSG Academy, because he's from Paris, I think having a, a hometown hero is really, really yeah. important. As well as sort of... Hence Pogba potentially going back as well. Yes, as well as projecting some sort of power in terms of, you know, this is the best striker in the world or the next mm. best footballer in the world, and we have him. The fact that he's yeah. a hometown hero is super important. But just on that as well, I mean, obviously, there are so many uh, potential criticisms of what the PSG project is, beyond anything else, the fact it's a sports-washing project for yeah. Qatar. But it, it is also a sadness in the sense that this is a club, like almost a contradiction to my. This is a club that's sitting on top of one of the three most fertile football areas in the world. The other two, I'm constantly told, are South London now and Sao Paulo, mm. and the other one is Paris, the, the the wider, greater Paris area. I mean, if any sort of kind of medium club, in fact, there's so many, there's so many kind of French clubs that would that will have the profile basically that will be perfect to sit in that area, use the connection of being at their local club. And basically, almost build a really proactive, modern, healthy club just through constantly bringing the youth through. Uh, but obviously, PSG just <laughs> have no interest in that. And even PSG themselves could be some way more palatable if they actually if they change tack. I mean, if they if they did what another sports washing project in Manchester City did, put in the correct infrastructure, and then used and used it to bring through these players constantly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it it doesn't seem like there's any sort of football mindset at the club to to go down that route. Well, if they pivot in that direction, it's such a one eighty from yeah what, yeah what they said like two years ago when, but, uh, they, when they'd yeah. been Diaby and when they binned and Kunku. Yeah, and, and as, as you were saying earlier, uh, Andy, you know, like if you're a young player at that club, like they can they can say whatever they want to you, but because of the politics of the club. Are you, do you, <laughs> No matter what they promise you, there's always a danger that someone higher up will just go and they will, nah, sorry, we promise you football, but we're going to sign this 32-year-old instead. He's got 3 million Instagram followers and... Yeah. <laughs> and, and he's won some trophies, so... It's great to have you back, uh, Miguel, uh, following all your dispatches from Qatar ahead of the World Cup, but you will have witnessed this week uh, perhaps the best the worst and definitely the ugliest of one of the great teams of recent times in the Champions League, uh, relatively lowly Atletico Madrid, when you compare them to Real Madrid as well. They took on Manchester City, and I've read your piece on this. They knew that they couldn't play and beat Manchester City at their game, so they introduced another game that Manchester City <laughs> should have been expecting, at least Pep Guardiola should have been expecting. Well, you say that, yeah, before they, you get yeah. to that, two goalless draws a week apart, one against Manchester City, <laughs> one against Granada. They suck everyone to that level. No, <laughs> Nil all. It's remarkable, isn't it? Yeah. Um, on that though, see, I, I actually think that... Um, they could beat Manchester City. This is my problem. My 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 main issue actually isn't the um, the last fifteen minutes, which everyone else found ugly. I thought that was brilliantly entertaining. That's kind of what Atletico was about, and also that chaos kind of served them to a degree because it sufficiently disrupted City. But the issue was more how that reflected how what they could have done had they been a bit more aggressive during the game. And this is when we get into kind of bigger discussions about Simeone and also where he is as a manager now and where football is going. Um, because, I, 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 I mean, ultimately, Atletico, Atletico Madrid, right, he's, of course, transformed the entire identity of the club. Um, but that also means 
they're no longer really the upstart in the same way. Yeah, fair enough, they're, they're, they're not as wealthy as Barcelona and Real Madrid, but they're wealthier than, much wealthier than most of Spain. And yet they still generally attempt, okay, with, with some evolution this season, but they still generally attempt the same approach, which is this kind of, which, which is still reactive football. It, it's still, I, I would at this point say, the misuse of attacking talent. And it, it's increasingly difficult not to think. It's basically Jose Mourinho 3.0 uh, in, in, in a football world that is now moving in a completely other direction. But the evolution that you're talking about, the gentle evolution. Yeah, yeah. I, I know Atletico and gentle don't really go together. The, the, the evolutions of players, it's not him, yeah, is it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in fact, I, I, was, I just when I was in Madrid last week having a conversation with, with someone about exactly this. We're, they're pointing the kind of growing tensions in, in Atletico Madrid in this way. Whereas, first of all, uh, there, there has been some unrest between Simeone and the hierarchy because he is very, very difficult to buy players for. Because like, like Mourinho before him, he has specific types. Most of all, uh, a big number nine. But the way football goes now, it's, it's not really producing big number nines anymore. Even, even those players who, could, who physically could be big number nines, they play in a different way, like Erling Haaland. Um, so I mean, there is, funnily enough, his, his, his eldest son would be a really good centre yeah, forward yeah, for yeah, him, yeah. wouldn't he? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but so um, th- there, there is already frustration there. Um, and and, and that, that means that kind of Simeone himself, as you say, he has to adapt to players that he doesn't necessarily... Idealize. I mean, everyone knows the issues between him and Joe Felix. Well, I was coming to that because yeah. we've got a, a, a message here on Instagram from Nathan who says, do you both think that Joe Felix will stay at Atletico or will Simeone's style of play ruin things? And we know where that's going. It, why on earth did he buy a player like as talented, young players talented as Joe Felix, if actually what he would rather him do well, is, I would, is fight a rearguard action for the team. I would, I would imagine that wasn't really to do with Simeone. As as, as usually influential as he is in that club, at that club. Um, and, and again, this is one of the points of tension that I was spoken to, spoken about, that basically um, constantly, especially, especially underneath in the kind of youth infrastructure, Atletico are trying to do things in a very modern way. And then you get to the first team and it's still kind of this, you know, world into itself really I mean it's, it's funny what you were saying about the possibility of him and his way of doing things and holding them back certainly in terms of recruitment I think what's interesting about Atletico and you see it this season with Antoine Griezmann buying players back can we think of any other elite team who's made such a line oh. in buying players back and what summed that up was basically his break in the first leg Against uh, against City, like I mean, I, I couldn't help thinking. I'm sure you're the same. He was in exactly the same situation against a Pep Guardiola team six years beforehand, and he raced through and scored, and that, and that suited Simeone's football because the sheer speed of it. Mm. Six years on, and like Griezmann literally didn't have the pace to get away. Um, but he's been kind of coached out of that as well. Yeah, that, I mean, because yeah. there's there's that famous scene in um one one of the home games just before the end of his last one of his last games of the first spell at Atletico where they're winning 1-0 against an inferior opponent. And as you pointed out in your piece, Miguel, the issue is not that they play apparently reductive football against Manchester City. I think if you limit Manchester City to yeah. one goal over two games, that's pretty good. It's the fact that they do the same thing against Granada, who are bottom of the table, or near the bottom of the table, come into the, the Wanda Metropolitano and... Atleti get what a handful of shots off. I know, uh, yeah, and, yeah. and you know they, they, their keepers not really the, the Granada goalkeepers not really worked. I, I, th- I think that's the thing. But there's that going back to the the, the Griezmann thing. So they're, they're beating the inferior team. I don't know Osasuna or someone like that, one um, nil, and Griezmann makes this break towards the halfway line, and then he's, he's got loads of space to run into, and he stops. And he holds the ball up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And wins a throw-in. And the, the <laughs> crowd give him shit and say, what are you yeah, doing? Yeah, yeah. And he turns around, Mourinho style, puts his finger to his lips. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he's, he's like the personification of Simeone well, on the pitch. Yeah, and actually, well, first of all, I'm going to say, Asasuna or something like that. Disrespect. <laughs> <laughs> I think the thing is, I thought, oh, I think of a mid-table team. <laughs> and then I just looked across and I saw you. <laughs> um, but, but, but honestly, I, I, well, like when I was at that... Um, 
at that game against City. And I, I've been to a few uh, big Atletico games now, both at the Calderon and now in the Metropolitano era. And I did kind of think to myself, actually, it's, it's a famous uh, Eamon Dunphy line about Jack Charlton's Ireland in 1990. But, um, you know, you go into the, you're in a great European city, a great European football city, one of the biggest names in in world football that, to be fair, he has played his part in, of course, um, restoring. And you go to this this new great arena. You sit there and I'm like, and it's, it's a stadium that will put so many to shame. Uh, and, and, and I think crucially as well, it feels like a football stadium in a way, actually, many modern stadiums don't. It's got that atmosphere. Then you sit down or stand up and you watch that. Or you go to a great festival and you produce that. Um it, like it's and yet then, at the end of the game they've been knocked out having barely had a shot in a game that was there for the taking and the crowd the fans are lapping it up if, <laughs> like, if, like it's if, if, if it's Simeone, like the cult it's like the yeah, cult yeah. of Mourinho at Roma yeah, it's gaslighting <laughs> if if uh, Simeone is the problem as I'm presuming you're both saying how how on earth can he be the best paid coach in the world because he has turned them from yeah. also runs in a pile of debt, the Champions League perennials. And he has won a load of stuff. It is the most successful decade in Atletico's history. Now, whether the game has moved on from him since the, the, the start of his spell there, I think that's the thing, that people never really make the difference between his 2014 and 2016 um, Champions League finalists and the current team and this team that remarkably won La Liga last season. But there is a huge difference in terms of expectation, in terms of wage bill. They can't afford to miss the Champions League. And they haven't been able to afford to miss the Champions League for quite a long time, actually. They've been scarily dependent on it. But in terms of liability, not least his wages, we might add, as you, you pointed out there, there's a lot riding on it. What happens if they miss the top four this season? And results like that, against Granada when they go out against one of the worst teams in the league and yeah Aitor Karank has gone there and played very bravely in, in his first game as coach and well done to him etc etc come on yeah. they, they should be pummeling Granada yeah, yeah. with the players they've got and I understand they've got Lamar and Joao Felix out they've got so many other alternatives and they barely lay a glove but, on them actually, and if they miss the top four where does that leave them but if, and where does that leave him if, if they miss top four actually does that suddenly make Joao Felix because they, they need money does it put him suddenly on that Holland Mappe bracket? Okay, he doesn't quite have the reputation of those two, but I think he should certainly have the reputation of Holland, I have to say. Does it suddenly make him a sort of, hey, this, this top forward, but, who's the future of your club potentially? Is he suddenly available? Joao Felix, I, I think, is really interesting mm -hmm. because I think people look at him and think he's not an athletic yeah, player. Yeah, yeah. He is. He really is. He's, he's gutsy. He doesn't back down. Yeah. He can score those scruffy striker goals, which they've only belatedly seen yeah, to, yeah, yeah. to realise. And yet he's got the talent to exactly. lead them forward. Yeah, yeah. They have to give him the keys to the team. Simeone has to give him the keys to the team. Interestingly, whatever happens to Cholo Simeone this summer, and I wouldn't completely rule out an exit, debut last night for Giuliano Simeone, <laughs> his 19-year-old son. So you've got the next yeah, generation coming of, of Cholismo there, whatever happens. <laughs> it goes back, though, to what you were saying in your article and you said a bit earlier on uh, that, uh, Miguel, that, is, that um, they can win these games should they choose to. Will they? There always, there always comes a point in... Um... I think managers' careers in that way, where, and I, and I should have pointed out for all for all for all my kind of a mocking tone about how Atletico fans lap it up, as you say, ultimately he's the, Simeone is the most important figure in the history of the club. That shouldn't be overlooked, but because of that, and because of past work gets you to a certain point, and this pretty much happened with every single great manager you can think of, bar Ferguson, and maybe kind of one or two other exceptions, it they get rather than doing. Rather than the early point of their career, where they're still some way they have an idea, but they're still some way fluid about it, and they basically do what it takes to get them there. They become wedded to a style. It becomes hard fixed, and it goes in the other direction, and it means they can't evolve in the way that's necessary. And again, it's exactly what kind of Andy's been pointing to. Like it's kind of a, a gentle evolution, or almost a superficial evolution. Basically, ultimately, mm. every football co coach is 
Mick Jagger, and they yeah. just end up playing the hits <laughs> yeah, yeah, forever yeah, yeah. But, but, but until next, it's the end. But, but there's an extra element of a football coach because then, and this this happens with this happened with Mourinho, happened with Rafa Benitez, happened with Wenger, because obviously Mick Jagger doesn't have to uh, doesn't have the issue of results, or, or <laughs> but but it becomes about proving that their method still works. It, it's not the game that's changed. Mm. All right. <laughs> You yeah, know. I'm a force of nature. Yeah, I'm yeah, above yeah. this. And then it's almost to get kind of more bloody minded about it, which becomes actually self-defeating. But, but, but Simeone is an extreme example of that, isn't yeah. he, as well? Because when you see the, the amazing thing, like two images for me this season underline Simeone. Firstly, when they lo- lose away at Camp Nou going back a couple of months and Daniel Vass comes on, makes his terrible debut as a substitute and gets injured as well. And Simeone's trying to pick him off the floor and he's like, actually, I'm kind of seriously injured here. Mm-hmm. And he ends up being out for six weeks. And Simeone just like grabs him by the back of his armpits and pulls him up and tells him to, look, get on with it. The, the, we, we can't do this with 10 men. Come on. And the other thing is the game you were at last week, yeah. Miguel, where he's just leading the crowd. Yeah, and yeah, he's yeah. Just That's conducting exactly. the orchestra. It's amazing. The, 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 the sarcastic applause. Mm. Um, did, did you watch the documentary on him actually the Amazon one yeah it's brilliant yeah I mean and I must say especially, especially given Amazon's All or Nothing series has been, have been so bad um, I was actually surprised at how good this was well he's very open isn't he yeah yeah and, and also the voices they get into they get into are amazing like, yeah. basically anyone you can think of mm. who's willing to talk about him and, and they, they talk so honestly uh, but one of the standout moments though was actually it was again during that um, and exactly the sort of thing you're talking about during that uh, that Bayern Munich Atletico match in 2016, where he um, he kind of like almost physically assaults his um, his his staff member. I can't remember his name. That has to uh, the team delegate the who team does delegate. the subs. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Uh, and, <laughs> and then and then even the way the guy can makes allowances from him. It's just it's just uh, El Cholo in the in the middle of these uh, events. That, that, that's it. He is that unstoppable force. It's like when him and his his kids who are uh, well the. The three boys are all footballers, aren't they? Where they're sat around the table having a mate mm. and talking really honestly in his home. Mm. And uh, Gio goes to him, See that, dad? Got more kids than you've got friends. <laughs> 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 well, actually, just as a, as a, the briefest digression, do you think Atletico and Simeone's managerial career is this unfair to him as a player, maybe, but because of his mentality on football? It actually prevented him being the player he could have been as well. I know that's quite a mad thing to say mm. for someone that played at Inter and won a lot of stuff and won a lot of stuff. Mm. Yeah, but there yeah. was there was almost that sense that he could have been Redondo actually, but instead it was just. I don't think he wanted to be. You know I mean? <laughs> but but that's what I mean though. But he he, yeah. he he could have been, but he had, he had no like he he could have been a kind of much more refined. Could have been a contender. Um, well, you get that, you get that sense, don't you? You know when um, him and Juan Sebastian Verón talk about the fact yeah. that they're they're brothers but definitely not friends <laughs> because they've just got such opposite yeah, yeah. views of things yeah and you know that when we think of like we we characterize argentinian footballers in a certain way like they they couldn't really be any more different yeah yeah could they? yeah exactly yeah Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., Andy, I see that you've been talking about the Super League on Football Ramble Presents this week. 
Yeah, that's right. Um, we've got this three-part series, um, Back from the Brink, where we commemorate a year from the, the Super League announcement. I know, I can't believe it's a year. It seems millions of years ago. Everything that went on, uh, we talked to uh, uh, journalists who broke the story, supporters who protested, people from all over Europe, and um, how they feel about it now. So, Miguel, is the Super League dead and buried or not? It actually depends. There's two ways to look at it. First of all, there's the Super League project, the European Super League project itself, which has been dependent on this case going to the European Court of Justice, uh, which is ultimately about... Um, it's it's not really about a Super League. It's basically about the the top European clubs trying to create their own Premier League, which is basically a federation to replace UEFA, where they're the main shareholders. Because... What what that case is about is whether UEFA in Europe or or beyond or any federation has the sole right to set up sporting competition. It's, it's about who runs football. Yeah, that's really. exactly mm-hmm. it. That's because good. the 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 Premier League is groundbreaking in the sense that it's the for the clubs by the clubs, if you like. Yeah, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. They're, where the clubs are the shareholders in that mm. way, and I, and that's obviously what a lot of European clubs want in the Champions League. Now, it had been put to me that had up, up until this week, the line I'd heard was there was a 50-50 cha- chance of victory for either side on a purely legal basis. But they did think the political weight behind protecting the kind of the wider health of the game would swing it for UEFA if it ever got to court. You would think, though, there has been a development as we speak today and Thursday afternoon that might just edge it further, which is basically now the Madrid court has lifted the injunction imposed on UEFA, uh, meaning UEFA, if it wants now, can punish uh, Madrid, Barcelona and Juve uh, for attempting to, in Sheffern's words, destroy histories. But that that's only the Super League project as we came to know it a year ago. Because on the other side, there's actually the reality of football right now and whether, after all that, UEFA are actually just institutionalising a Super League because uh, it's very difficult not to think that's exactly what's happening. With the 2024 format. Yeah. I, I mean, it's it's different though, isn't it? Because what what you're saying is it's not about the competition. Mm. It's about who's running it, really. And it's about the, the right to run it. Yeah. So in that sense, however UEFA reformat it, it's not really going to make a difference, but, 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 is it, to but, Real Madrid and Barcelona? But the issue is more the net effect, I'd say, because... For for all for all that um, uh, the Super League had been seen as a threat to the domestic competitions, its main challenge was that it was basically going to supplant the Champions League. That was going yeah. to happen. But what's going to happen now instead? Domestically, it, with these post-2024 reforms. So, I mean, in their ideal world, the big clubs, they would have continued with the domestic leagues. Mm. There would have been husks. They dominate even more. Yeah. And and play their, their Super League in midweek or, when, or whenever they, mm. they were, what was eventually going to happen with it. Whereas now the alternative future, or now what what feels a likely future, is uh, that basically we have the domestic leagues, but we also have a Champions League that even more than before is loaded towards the big clubs. Uh, especially, mm. I mean, there's been this constant to back and forth about, say, these, uh, you know, the historic legacy places, so to speak, which are essentially based on club coefficient performance. Now, some within... Uh, the European leagues within kind of the within UEFA people outside the big clubs basically they still have hope to be pushed back in that the 10th of May is when all this will be decided uh, but it hasn't been taken off the table yet if UEFA implement that it, again it just basically it copper fastens places for the big clubs really almost makes it certain that they that they get those places and the other side of this is and it, this is something that's almost gone under the radar but kind of basically sums up you know w- the entire problem, a core issue of the Super League. If you think, say, I think I think I, I might have brought this up in the show before, but if, say, let's say at the end of last season, the Premier League, because of the way UEFA prize money works and because so much it's based on, and exactly what we're talking about, on uh, historic performance, on coefficients by each club, on how you've done in the last five years and the accumulative effect, had it been Leicester City that qualified for the Champions League on the last day of the 2021 season, they would have got into. They would have been, had guaranteed prize money. I think of just under two million, because it was Chelsea, and because they've been in the Champions League so often over the over the last few years, where Leicester haven't. It was it was guaranteed thirty million. Now in that kind of world, how 
is the disparity in football ever going to be tackled? How, how are we mm. not in a situation where just the gaps widen and widen and widen? And then, and, and then because of potential regulations like historic places, the Champions League just becomes a Super League by another form. And yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. It's not about who, who, it, who runs the game is still different. But does that matter so much when UEFA basically, they're not allowed to look after the wider health of the game? Because, mm. I mean, we've discussed this in the show before. For me, the biggest crisis in football now is it's the competitive balance of the sport. Mm. And how, I mean, we have Bayern Munich winning 10 titles in a row. PSG, could, like, we, we, literally, we've just been talking about how Pochettino is going to win a title at Paris Saint-Germain and it means nothing because everyone expect, expects him to. Um, well, the question is really whether the tinkering amounts to anything, which is the point of Jack's tweet here where he says, do you think the proposed changes to the Champions League will last or be a flash-in-the-pan format like the famous, and who remembers this, two-group stage uh, version of the competition? The, yeah. thing, the thing is, I, th- I think it, it, it stays, at least yeah. medium term because it's the biggest change to the format. The, the two group stages, one comparison. When you think of the original format of the Champions mm. League in, in, in 1992, yeah. which is a lot more, which was a lot more leaguey than the yeah. current cup form. Once, you, once you've got back to that, I don't see a situation when, and, and you see it now, I think post-pandemic, when the, every common sense rule around football says play less yeah allow less space in the calendar don't let us get into the situation we got in march 2020 but you know what the game solution to that at all levels domestically and continentally has been you know what we can't turn the money tap off yeah yeah let's ram the same amount of football into a shorter amount of time so i would say to jack if you think that we're going to get to a point where the clubs and the governing body think, you know what, it's just a bit boring. Let's cut the amount of games. It's not going to happen. It's just not going to yeah, happen. Yeah. Once they've got those extra games, they're not going to let the, them the, go. The, the, the one thing I would say, though, it's maybe this exact format, I'd say, but they will just, as Andy says, it'll be this in a different form because I think it does feel like there's a little bit of, um, it almost feels like it's for the sake of it, uh, an era of experimentation. And I was actually just thinking this in relation to, say, what's going to happen with the 48-team World Cup, uh, that the, the the football staple, the four-team group, which is basically the kind of foundation of any... Mm. We've got, what we've all grown up with, the foundation of all these knockout tournaments uh, or international knockout tournaments, that's going to become a thing of the past, bar potentially the Euros. Because uh, it, it's, it's got to be gone from the Champions League, gone from the World Cup. Do, does any of the tinkering address the issue that you mentioned, which is the disparity, no, the it, grain it, disparity? None of them it's do. It's, it's, well, in what fact, it makes, it makes it worse because it's, yeah. it's guaranteeing... I mean, what this comes from is it's guaranteeing the big clubs more big games. But they're big it's games... But, they're big, but And this is, this is what's becoming a problem in football. It's more games, but more games with less meaning. Yeah, that, that's it. There, there'll be so many more dead rubbers in this. Yeah, yeah. And people have complained about that in a, in a six-game group stage. Yeah. And yeah. What's it going to be like in a, a ten-game yeah. group stage? And, and what this comes from is basically because people see the group stage and right, rightly think, well, this is mostly boring. The Champions League doesn't start until February. But the problem with that isn't the format, it, the structure. The problem with that is what we've been talking about, financial disparity, that there's basically about 10 to 14 clubs that are too financially powerful for the rest. So they're basically, they can lose two two group games and still they're guaranteed to win the other four and go through. But actually the Premier League has changed that, hasn't it? And that has been part of the push behind the Super League. And I think that's the reason why, you know, I know we've all really enjoyed the knockout stages of the Europa League and the Conference League. But I think when you look at the group stage of the Europa League, and I know like people get very enthusiastic about the Europa League and great, the back end of it is great. The group stage of the Europa League is much worse than the group stage of the Champions League and it's not because it's got worse teams in it. It's because there's a bigger gap between yeah. the good teams and the not good teams. When you've got, say, take Leon for example, who've had a poor season, knocked out in the quarterfinals on the back of quite a bad performance against West Ham, etc., etc. Been through that elsewhere. The fact is that a team of their size... is. They've they've been in like two European finals in the past, uh, two European semi-finals in the past five years. Uh, They've got a stadium that holds sixty thousand people, loads of valuable players. 
of course they're going to knock off six wins in a row. It doesn't mean they're good. Yeah, yeah. It means there's a huge gap between the teams who've got it and teams who haven't. And I think you're going to see this even more in the Europa League, uh, Europa Conference League, which has kind of become yeah. already, it's, it's like... Um, it's like a European League Cup, isn't it? Yeah, in yeah. That, that everyone goes, well, what even is this competition in, in the early stages? And then when you get to the back end, you've got Leicester, yeah. PSV, Roma. Look at the wage uh, bills. Uh, uh, Barcelona. Yeah, yeah. I, I, know, I know people... So, not Barcelona, sorry. Europa League. But. Even speaking as we, as we do here in England, I know there's been some sentiment, oh, it's great that Leicester are able to kind of get so far in a European competition. But they're still from one of the top five leagues. What? So like three of the clubs left in the Europa Conference are from the top five leagues. I think that's a massive shame. Can mm. you can you imagine the buzz around... Like, for, for me, what the spirit of the Europa Conference should be is basically giving the bottom 25 or 30 federations a chance to taste what actual... What, what a bit of international glory is about. Yeah, you're thinking about a glimpse yeah, final yeah, exactly. final, aren't you? Yeah, or something like, like that. The, the buzz. <laughs> that would be nice. Just very quickly, because I know it's an interesting conversation. Let's pick up on it again another time because it won't have gone away. But Tim has got a question on Instagram. Uh, with the seasons coming to a close, which teams were your biggest surprises or disappointments? Very quickly. Bodeglimpse getting the, all the way to the to, to the quarterfinals of the, the conference league. Yeah, that's yeah. what it was yeah, about. Yeah, I think, yeah, that's and exactly that, that, it. that Roma took to, to the fourth attempt to beat them yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> in, in their games. I, I think that was that was absolutely um, amazing. In terms of league performances, uh, Strasbourg, who, as mm. we spoke, beat Ren last night, Strasbourg could get in the Champions League next season, which it would be a phenomenal achievement. Now, we're talking, we're talking about the, 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 the gap widening between the, the, the haves and the have-nots. I think particularly in that context, Strasbourg qualifying for the Champions League yeah. would be amazing yeah. because they would be like Marseille are almost there behind PSG. That would be Strasbourg pipping Ren. And I know people are saying, oh, it'd be nice to see Ren in the Champions League. They spent a shitload last summer. Well, you know, actually, that- I'm going to offer a contradictory one as well. I mean, an, an obvious answer to what we're talking about is, is the Real um, getting to the Champions League semi final. But, and while it's great. That, I, that in this context we're talking about that the club like Villarreal I can do that still <laughs> part of me can't help think oh, if we're going to have an upstart does it have to with this sort of football I mean I, I look and don't get me wrong Emery it's to his credit he's he, he's shown his mettle but <laughs> when you think of upstarts it's, it's, it's basically it's better when it's a team doing something different or playing a football that kind of makes Europe Take note, Klopp's Dortmund, Ten Hag's Ajax, Kiev 99, and they're exciting and you can kind of, like, there's there's a real momentum behind them. Whereas Vera, it does feel very kind of, it's, it's hardline pragmatic. You know what it is? It's the second series of Alfie own Pep. <laughs> we admire and respect the experience. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, but it's, yeah, it's not that thrilling. Yeah, my old mate Tim Spall was in the first series. Phew. Um, <laughs> Now, we've answered a lot of your questions on today's show, so we are going to go straight to a Games of the Week now. But do remember, you can contact us anytime during the course of the week at Football Ramble, at Dawson Adebayo, at Andy Brassel, and at Miguel Delaney. Uh, and you've got a cracking Game of the Week. Well, you had no choice but to go for the biggie. Absolutely. Uh, the Spanish Cup final, or uh, Cup of the Ray final. Uh, and I think it's all the better, because usually we have these events, and it feels so it's invariably, okay, there's one upstart, and then you have one of the big boys, and like they expect, oh crap, like this will, like they're going to win two 0 and that's that. It takes, it just takes away from the occasion. Whereas this is Betis against Valencia. Um, okay, they're not exactly on long term droughts. Betis more so. Their last major trophy was two thousand five. Valencia won this competition three years ago. But again, the rarity value for any clubs outside the elite, um, in terms of winning the silverware now, just adds an extra element to it and mm. makes it all yeah. the more precious today. So even even though it's kind of an obvious choice in terms of silverware is on the line, it's the nature of the game itself, I think, amplifies that as an event. And Andy? I was tempted to go for Inter versus Roma on Saturday tea time. I think that'll, that'll be pretty good, even if you will miss the first quarter of an hour of it. Um, uh, because Inter have, have, have got the groove back. I think they're favourites for, for Serie A now. And Roma have turned into, I think, what Mourinho wants them to 
turn into. Um, there's still an outsider chance of them getting top four if Juventus drop a few more points. They're five points behind Juventus, which should be enough to hold Roma off, but we don't know. Roma have, have become good at grinding out the results. But I think I want to have a word for Sunday afternoon, four o'clock, Women's Champions League semi-final first leg between Lyon and Paris Saint-Germain. It mm. is absolutely <laughs> huge. Barcelona is still the favourites for this year's competition. They're playing Wolfsburg in the other semi-final. Um, but this is a huge domestic rivalry between Lyon and PSG. And we've talked before, early right at the top of the show, about the Qatari money. They won the domestic title last season. It took them a really long time to get there. They've had their hearts broken by Lyon in the Champions League beforehand on a number of occasions, although they have knocked them out as well. So for PSG, with the domestic title almost gone, they've, they've, they've almost lost that. Um, this is huge for, for PSG. And it's huge for Lyon to try and get their trophy back. And Pan Oshoklo all round? Yeah, something like that. I, 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 <laughs> I, I, I do think it's the sort of weather where you're going to barbecue let's get some steak on but don't leave it on the barbie too long stick it on flip it it's done oh, they like their red meat don't they they like the yeah they do yeah, yeah. and you Just know checking. still twitching really yeah, yeah. <laughs> and spanish omelette for the cup i actually know i'm in much more cliched but it's cliched for a reason i'll go for some uh, valencian paella yeah that's because the that's the best place in the world I do it I mean, I'm got, I'll be there uh, next week for the Champions League semi-final bring on the way back. to Villarreal and I'm looking forward to it bring some back <laughs> he's being prosecuted for two things at once as well at the moment Welcome to another edition of On the Continent. <laughs> Sorry, that was no, just that's good. good. He's being prosecuted for two things at once at the moment. Welcome to On the Continent. <laughs> Sorry. Football Ramble presents is a stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. 